welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. After a long, long year and a half dominated by COVID, George Floyd's murder, wildfires, white nationalists mobbing the U.S. Capitol, and the pain of not seeing our families, I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally, physically, and spiritually spent, and yet it feels like most days the only option is just to keep pushing forward. And yet, if we learned anything from the last 18 months, it's that We can't take our health for granted, and that the human toll of COVID includes very real psychological trauma, grief, and anxiety associated with the dark events that we've all lived through. As environmentalists, we have a really hard time acknowledging that if we're running on empty, it's nearly impossible for us to do our part in combating climate change or fighting for environmental justice or even properly sorting our recyclables. It feels like we're afraid to stop and take the time to regain our emotional health. Maybe fearing that we're at risk of losing momentum, that the movement needs all hands on deck. The truth is, our collective exhaustion is real, and we can only create a healthy planet if we ourselves are healthy. Luckily, help is here. This week, we talk with Mariana Sousa, who's a mental health first aid responder, who works to heal leaders, activists, and artists who are seeking to create lasting social change. For Mariana, emotional hygiene is a necessity that's all too often overlooked. Ms. Sousa's work evolved from listening to community voices and understanding the power of storytelling. She's a graduate from the Maynard Institute for Journalism and the NPR Next Generation Radio Project, where Mariana served as a community correspondent focused on wellness. Today, Mariana teaches personal and professional development through the scope of community leadership and activism. Mariana's mission is to uplift the importance of public health and safety as well as crisis prevention through creating safe spaces with real-world strategies and activities that include storytelling, positive coping methods, and practical tools, including creative expression, critical thinking, and therapeutic self-care. Her publication, Own Your Shit, a trauma healing workbook, has been featured nationally on college campuses. I start by asking Mariana where she grew up. I grew up in Sacramento, California, between 29th Street, Southside, Oak Park area. Yeah, I was born in Detroit, Michigan, but my mother brought me here when I was a little bundle. So I say I was there long enough to get my Detroit soul, but I'm definitely a Cali girl for sure. And what was it like growing up in Sacramento? Very community-based. My mother, although she was a single parent, she made sure that she dug up everything she could. She saw that I was an artist at a very young age and that I needed to be active. So she just made sure to put me in performance arts, cultural programs. She really dug deep for some of the gems that were in Sacramento. So I'm very blessed in that way. Talking about performative arts and like most people would be like, that happens in Sacramento? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, At a young age, she had me in elementary school in the Sacramento Repertory Theater. 
Uh, I was in a lot of oratorical programs where, you know, we're citing Nikki Giovanni and Maya Angelou, so many wonderful things. But she made an effort. She made a real effort to do that. I don't know that I can say a lot of my peers around the way in the hood necessarily got that, but she definitely went out of her way. I went to a performing arts middle school, John Steele Center for Creative Expression, where it was like fame. Mm, <laughs> we I had <laughs> we had theater, we had music, we had um, video production. I was filming and doing interviews in middle school. So she definitely made sure to place me in the right environment because my stars are aligning now later in life, just having such rich experiences. It takes a lot as a parent, like to find those things, right. to to think about how the, your child fits into that universe is really daunting. Right. Part of her honesty with me was being honest with herself and really seeing who I was. I remember out here, there's this old community performance spot called Rancho Arroyo. So anybody from South Sacramento, Oak Park, I know anybody who's listening from my area, uh, there they would do these rich talent shows. And I remember the first time performing, I was like lip singing Janet Jackson. And What was the song? Do you remember? I want to say it was... Mm. When I was 17, I did what people told me. And I remember she curled my hair and gave me this awesome sailor outfit in red, white, and blue, <laughs> which my mom was very Afrocentric, so I don't know where that came in. But I remember everything going into surreal, slow time. And I said, I'm not even in my mind, in my young mind, I said, I'm not even singing my own songs. You know, these dances are just freestyles. But I saw the sparkle in people's eyes. And I said to myself, oh, I like this feeling. And then as I got older, I realized I had to make sure to take people somewhere, not just entertain. <laughs> That's a gift that you have. Um, I'm, I'm just like, Mariana, we should just, I just want you to sing the whole rest of the show. Um, <laughs> how did you take that journey? I think that once I realized it was bigger than my ego, I realized that the journey became more than just me gaining attention. And saying, okay, you can be a leader, but where are you going to take people to? And I think that's when just getting applause just for the sake of doing poetry or acting or rapping or singing, it was great. But I think like many performers, eventually you want to tap into a message or a reason or a purpose so that you can use that talent to lead people in a direction and heighten awareness or just care about something more. And that really is... Something that I think we all pick up on the performers that are just in it for themselves. Mm -hmm. You kind of get that wow factor, but that falls flat as opposed yeah. to the people that are really drawing on something and have a, have a purpose. Yeah. It becomes transactional. And for me, I realized that these gifts are a spiritual thing. And so, yeah, I can entertain you. You can give me your money. You can go home, maybe be excited for a day or two. Or I can say, if I'm able to align your energy and take your intention somewhere that's positive and powerful and make this resonate with you to where you never forget it and it actually inspires you to do something or be something more than you may have known or aware of, that's something. That's huge. I mean, that's more than something. Well, after a while, I don't want to say there's a level of guilt, but there's a level of responsibility that comes with realizing that this gift isn't just for me, gifts are meant for sharing. And that's where I am at this point in my life. It's realizing that I have the gift to help people feel that spark 
whether it's personal development, professional development, that's my stage now. And it feels good to be there. And do you keep connected to that other stage of singing and poetry and rap or like how how did those two co-evolve? I think it was a natural evolution that had to happen. I think I needed to understand performing arts to understand the power of storytelling through performance. But then as I matured, got a little older, went to school late in life, got into journalism and did some amazing programs and internships, I was like, oh, there's something can still happen when you take the beat away and the stage away and the song away. Like these stories are just as powerful. Sometimes they get drowned out by the glitz and glam because it's momentary. And that's when journalism started making me realize like, oh, you need to strip all that away. And instead of you being on stage, you get behind the camera or you get behind the mic and allow people to share their story. It was a domino effect. And I'm always bringing the essence of sharing and performing no matter how I show up. But what it does is it helps me to never be nervous. I think when you're a child performer, you're like, this is what we do. This is an even exchange. I have nothing to be nervous about. And that helps me on the world stage in terms of seeing all humans for who they are, not based off of status at all. Isn't everything better with a beat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I see you you got a nice record collection. So if you drop a beat, you know, I might freestyle for you. I got you. (laughs) What were the stories that kind of really grabbed you yeah. And kind of brought you from performing to telling a story to now helping empower people. Storytelling began before I realized it as a natural hair care provider in the community, doing braids, doing twists, doing locks for people's hair. First of all, for the African community, people of African descent, that is our therapy session, right? The barbershop, the hair salon is where we go for some of the most important phases in our life, right? Weddings, funerals, you know, divorce parties, whatever it is, we're going through major changes and then also in between. And I didn't realize at the young tender age of 16, 17, you know, it started doing some of my friends hair around the way or an auntie or a big mama notices it and hey, I got a baby shower. Can you hook me up too? And before you know it, I did a a non-traditional natural hair care apprenticeship with a woman who owned an amazing shop here in Sacramento, Kinks International. And that's where journalism began. I just didn't realize it. I I was conducting the art of storytelling by being a compassionate witness to those who came to talk about all the phases and things in life, to get advice. They might have been double, triple my age, but that deep connection of, you know, touching that ori, that crown chakra of the hair, it makes people completely open up. So I have to, I have to make sure to include that part of storytelling. Mm. I just got a phone call from a friend talking about the amazing toxicity of the chemicals used in particularly black women hair products and like how it's just such an out of unregulated sector. And so the fact that you're talking about natural hair products. It's powerful. It's powerful. Uh, That's an amazing story in itself, you know, going from realizing the impact of beauty standards and how that creates the path of your decision-making and how you see yourself and how you view yourself. So not only was it this great space for storytelling and witnessing to people's life's journey, it also is even more of an impact because it's people starting to appreciate themselves in their natural state, knowing that without anything extra or different outside of how our hair naturally grows out of our head and being able to embrace that and love that. 
that made those experiences even richer because a lot of people were going through rites of passage mm. for the first time, growing their hair naturally, seeing who they are without the impact of these chemicals or these expectations of a colonial mindset. Both of which happen to be pretty toxic. Absolutely. So there's a lot of healing going on. And so right there, that was where the intersection began of journalism and mental and emotional hygiene, because people are coming and telling their stories, but they're also purging. Like even the act of washing someone's hair, mm. washing the dead skin cells away, washing the dirt, washing the product, the things that we do to construct ourselves to present to the world, that is a purification process that bonds you to someone. And then breaking all that guck down and then helping to put a person back together again and sending them out into the world with whatever rich conversations you've had in that time, which is always encouraging. A good hairstylist makes you feel good on the inside and out. hundred percent. Absolutely. I love going. <laughs> Just hearing those stories, it, it puts a lot on your shoulders, especially as a 16 year old. I meet people, irrespective of their age, there's some very wise people and then they're 16-year-olds who are more like 10-year-olds. I mean, like, it seems like you must have had a lot of emotional intelligence to be able to kind of deal with those Yeah, moments. we call those old souls. A lot of elders tell me, you know, you've been here before, you know. Um, I've had elders at 60 years old allow me to cradle them as mm. they come to a level of realization that, yeah, we're doing hair, but we're doing more than hair. And there's transformational work happening. Later on, that's when I started realizing like at NPR with Next Gen program and the Maynard Institute, Sacramento Voices program, like, hey, you were already doing something here. It's this culmination of things is starting to come together. And that's when the journey began to expand to seeing myself because my whole world for almost 20, 25 years of doing hair was helping other people to see themselves. Mm. But it wasn't until I got from behind the hairstyling chair and expanded my horizons. And it's now starting to take me out into the world. And, and that's my goal is to see the world in the work that I do. And was that scary? Oh, yes. Very. Thank you for asking that. Because I didn't realize how scary it would be. You know, there's a there's an old Kanye record where he says, you know, the girls kind of contemplate, like, I guess I'll stay here and do her, you know, like kind of, you know, kind of settling and not seeing beyond the chair, not seeing beyond the boundaries of our hood and our community. And although my mother really exposed me to a lot of Black culture, African culture, history, my mind was expanded, but I didn't see myself stepping out of my community mm. to actually experience it. And it took a lot for me to break away from the identity of being the caretaker to everyone else and realizing, hey, there's some self-care that you need to do that will help you to blossom even more, which has led me to be in the position that I am now to help people. I'm, not, I'm no one's healer. I facilitate people as they do their self-healing. I remember I try to retire from here like 50 million times. And I remember one time I had maybe three or four big mamas. They had all ended up staying over a little longer. So we ended up just gathering and talking after appointments because you stay all day and you talk to each other. And I was trying to tell them, you like, hey, guys, you know, my journalism career is picking up and, you know, my activism and leadership in the community. And I was, you know, trying to, you know, tell them, like, I'm not going to be able to do your hair. And I remember just break down crying. And these women as the village just like circled me up and they mm. were like, baby, 
you got to do what God is telling you to do. Whatever you believe, great spirit, oh yeah, Yahweh, whatever it is you want to call it, Buddha, whatever it is you believe in right now, because they always joke like, we don't know what you believe in, but we know you're spiritual, right? And he was like, you have to follow your destiny. And we, we love you for as long as you've served us and you have served us well, but you also have to serve yourself. Finally seeing myself, and stepping in the mirror and understanding that I have the capacity of so much and being that old soul facilitating healing in this non-traditional way for so long was ready to bloom. Hmm. The distinction between you healing people and you helping people to heal feels really important in that often people kind of own someone else's healing and that feels kind of dangerous. It's super codependent. And that's where where my journey began about six, seven years ago. I was so busy helping everyone clean up their shit that I realized I wanted to own my shit. And I didn't have time to do that because I was being a superhero to everyone else, which was a disservice to them because it, it went from this very organic space of like, hey, I care and I'm here for you. But then not knowing boundaries and not doing some of the inner child work that I needed to do. Um, some of just the the generational trauma that existed for me and my people just of, of African descent and then just my mama and the stuff she went through in her family. Um, becoming more active and aware through journalism and storytelling. When I went to school for these things, I started seeing these reoccurring things with certain communities, right? And then how they were showing up with these isms and schisms and symptoms, And then I was like, hey, there's something beyond just the story. There's some mental health and emotional health issues here. And then that's when I went on this deep quest to really study mental health and and emotional hygiene in a way that, again, didn't want to do it traditionally. I wasn't trying to go to school for psychology, but I began to get certifications in different programs. Uh, I'm a mental health first aider. And so what I realized is like, it wasn't enough to get all the sadness out of everyone's story and then just like walk away with no solution. It was like, well, it's really sad. And I thank you for sharing. And I know part of your healing is beginning to tell your story, but then I wanted to have solutions and I wanted to have solutions for myself too, and my own issues and trauma and drama. I just went on this journey. This it's, I thought it was a year. I, got, I told myself, I gave a little time clock, like I'm going to do this year healing journey and, and I'm still in it. How many years later, Mariana? I'm on my, going on my sixth year now of just being on this intense mental and emotional own your shit journey, but the passion for mental health and emotional hygiene and delivering it in a culturally responsive way that was clicking because I'm realizing people saying, I'm going to a psychologist and a therapist and I can't connect. I'm not even telling my whole truth because I feel like they don't understand me and they might check a box that'll get me in trouble. And so when I started getting these certifications, I was like, let me start pulling this into these speeches. Let me start talking about this, you know, because safety awareness is not just the body, it's the mind and the heart. And it just started going off like wildfire. People started responding, started getting a little more active with it on social media. And I'm like, okay, this is a thing. But what I did not want to do was be a traditional mental health practitioner who appeared that they had it all together Mm. and make that big divide where I peek over the clipboard at you and, and get you to be vulnerable. The journalism <laughs> helped me in that. Like, yeah. no, this can be a dual experience. Mm. Show people along the way. And one of the big transformations that I made, which dealt with the ego and the performance and making sure not to be, you know, have this superiority thing going was 
changing that you need to do this. You know, some of the biggest, best motivational speakers say, you need to do this with your life and you need to do this immediate separation, right? And some people love it because it's like that alpha mentality. But what I realized is like, oh, I just have to change the I to we. When we get frustrated and we go that deep, dark hole, that rabbit hole of overthinking and overfeeling, when we get triggered and immediately a career began because people felt, wow, I respect you and I see you actively doing the work. And instead of instructing me on what I have to do and what I should have, could have, would have done, you're leading by example. And I think that's what's changing the face of mental health. It's making it culturally responsive. And there's no separation of superiority there that I've mastered this because the average therapist behind the scene is falling apart in certain areas of their life. It's just part of right, what we, we do are. here. It's, it's yeah. part of the human experience coming here to earth. And that's very freeing. And I feel more healthy mentally and emotionally now and processing that emotional intelligence and showing people how to do that with accountability. And you can still be cool, but also be clear about the level of toxicity that comes when we don't deal with it and we press it down and chase a persona. And that's what I was able to offer like the artist community who fall apart when they're not applauded on stage and day comes and your gig is over at night and you have to be somebody the next day. It carries over in the activism community where people don't know who they are and have identity crisis if they're not screaming and shouting about what's wrong in the world and not attending to their own shit. So let's talk about activism. We can't really go into the world to solve big problems, whether it's injustice or inequality or racism or climate change, if we haven't worked out our own shit. Mm -hmm. Namely, like, we're just going to project the things we haven't figured out yeah. onto the broader world, which is actually less healthy than just staying at home. Right. I think, I can't speak for the environmental community, but it feels deeply unhealthy. Like we're burnt out as a community. I think there is a lot of youism, like a lot of finger pointing, telling other people what they should be doing. There's not very much we. And it feels like if we don't, as a community, figure this out, we're in deep trouble. So part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you is to find out where, where can we go? Chasing the idea of what the, you know, almighty activist and leader in the community has to be kind of backed me in the corner. Hmm. And I ran real fast into the corner. And then when my mental and emotional health started falling apart and breaking down, it started seeping through in the style of leadership and in the style of activism. And I completely resonate with what it is you're saying in terms of it's getting pretty toxic. And usually there's a deep connection with the the issues that we see in the world that we connect with, like there's usually a deep connection to why we care about that so much, or there's a deep deflection, right? So some of us get into areas of activism to kind of deflect away from those darker parts that we're not really willing to shine light on and share. And I remember one of the first little Facebook posts I did as a personality, I was going to, you know, going to do my little teachy preachy thing and, you know, see how many likes I get, Right. And it was called The Healthy Activist. And I was still at that stage where I was like, well, you need to do this. And then I was like, well, why don't I just use myself as a guinea pig? Like, why don't I just do all these things that I'm saying? 
And what has now developed is this, what I call a high level, non-negotiable discipline and self-care lifestyle. Oh, so scary, right? Like it's so easy to tell the government what they're doing wrong and religion, what it's doing wrong and, and colonized institutions. It's very easy to do that. It's very recognizable. But the moment you have to look at the effects of how those are showing up in your shitty attitude and your way of life and your decisions and the partners you choose, like all the things that seems like so difficult. Like, so you're telling me that it's easier to take on the world than it is to take on yours because you are a part of the world and the community, right? So if you say you want to heal the world, make it a better place, right? All of this. For you and me. Yeah. You're so good. You're so good. We're going to do a duet together one day. Yeah. (laughs) It's... It's I'll quite a challenge. I think I, I think I should be the background Don't fall singer. Back. Very, no, no, you're no, committed no, now. No. I've already JB. I've already got your okay. stage name okay. going. Okay, you're in this. But it's Mariana it's so much and the JBs. <laughs> J Bizzle. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's it's much easier to team up with somebody else than it is to take on that lifestyle of high level, non-negotiable okay, discipline so let's go and self-care. Through this. Okay, so non-negotiable, high level. High level. High level. So what if does you that do mean? anything at high level, it means you're standing in excellence with it. Whether or not you come out excellent on top every time, non-negotiable. Oh, this one's great for the activists, right? Because we want to break down boundaries, but don't know how to set boundaries for ourselves, which makes us take on everybody's crap and not know how to prioritize. High level, non-negotiable discipline, 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 discipline. We're big on telling every other system how it needs to change and uphold with no question. But when it comes to us, our health, our exercise, our food choices, our relationships, our job titles, all these different things that affect us mentally and emotionally, we show up, our self-care falls apart, and then we bring all of that baggage with us to no matter how glorious the cause is that we're fighting for. And so I, t- I retired. I retired from being a control freak. Do you have issues with control, JB? I do. Okay. I, I welcome you to my club. Thank you. We can have weekly sessions. I'm looking forward to that. On me. Okay. Yeah. Um, being a retired control freak was that deflection of trying to control everything and everyone around me, all the environments, while carrying my baggage and shouting out demands and commands. It came off very ugly. And I didn't want to look at that. And when people did say it or notice it, I'd become more angry and I'd be the defensive angry black woman. So I've also retired from being the angry black woman. You might, you might, you can just retire from being angry. Do you have anger issues? I'm retired from those. Okay, good. Very retired. Good. We yeah. could, we could cheers yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> but the high level non-negotiable discipline and self-care, at least if not before simultaneously while doing our work can really change things because we get really nasty on social media, which is where all our activism happens now. And we can hide behind the persona, but not deal with the real personality traits that are being born out of avoiding the self-care work. But what you hear from so many people is, yeah, I'd love to be able to do that if I had time, but these issues are so urgent. If you have any kind of spiritual belief and you believe that there is some great force in the universe that aligns us, works through us, works together, my thing is this. I have a feeling that you came to the planet to do some particular fetchings and have some personal experiences that need to get done before you leave the planet. When you leave this human meat suit that you retire and you swindle on to wherever you're supposed to be, 
if there happens to be a conversation that needs to happen, even if you're not using actual words, and they say, well, what did you do with your time there? Some people may say, I fed the homeless, I fought environmental, whatever. And then the last question will be, so how is your soul? Mm. And if that's not intact, I wonder what's going to happen after that. Knowing when to say, no, I can't serve community because I need to serve myself first to show up in community as healthy and whole as I can. I don't even have a guilt factor over it anymore. Because the question I ask myself is, how does this serve my higher good? And if it doesn't, how healthy is this for me? And then lastly, if I don't put my health first, can I really show up at 100% to this thing that I feel I'm ordained to do to make the world a better place? So that feels what would your like soul next say? level shit. It's some next level shit. What would your soul say? It's kind of like how we justify and rationalize the bullshit we eat or the toxic relationships we get into. So how do people begin that journey? So- I think that's one issue that when people, you know, go to get motivated, they get riled up. I got all the whys because that was a big thing. Like, know your why. You got to know your why. And then when the motivational speaker goes home and gets their check, you're sitting there and you're fizzling out and no one knows the how. And that's actually why I created the workbook. I wrote it for myself. And I don't know if that's like that weird thing. Like, I'm not just the president, I'm a client too. (laughs) But I needed like some real practical exercises. I needed some things that could help me do down to earth cognitive behavior therapy, like catching myself. One of the number one practices I do is a trauma timeline. Mm, I think most people are just feeling like they they don't even know what that line looks like anymore. Yeah. Let's use this moment right now. I'll use myself. I tried a few therapists. It just wasn't hitting right. And I didn't have the money and the means to just be playing around because you don't understand how a sister talks, how a sister feels. Like, didn't have time for that. So I said, okay, start looking at the internet, start researching, start looking books, you know, a little Ayanna Van Zandt, you know, sprinkle here and there. But then I started going back to what were you giving all your clients in the chair? You were letting them talk about what happened to them when they were five, recognizing the behavior and how it morphed into certain thoughts and beliefs about who you are now. So I started creating activities to do that. And so a lot of the times when people are in the throes of doing it, they're laughing, they're crying, they're feeling this raise of emotions, but we're doing the how right there. And it's not this grueling, embarrassing process. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, the part that people get excited about when they're getting actual tips and tools is it's not this one big epiphany that you get. It's this bit by bit breakthrough. I think people are like waiting for like the sky to break open and like all of a sudden you're healthy and healed. Oh no, you might um, become more aware of what happened to you, you know, 17 years ago and how it's showing up. Your trauma is connected to your drama, the drama in your thoughts, the drama in your heart, the drama in your actions. But I think what happens is two years later, you go through something new and it's like, oh man, I did all this healing and now something else has happened. That's just part of life. But once you realize that challenge and those opportunities kind of ebb and flow through life and you realize like, oh, it's not the end of the world. Do I have the tools? Do I have the mental fortitude? Do I have the emotional bandwidth to learn how to process this? Feel the feelings. Okay, you can feel it, but you ain't got to live there and stay there forever. You don't have to let it morph into some really toxic shit and decisions. After you feel it, you accept it. 
after you accept it, you start going into problem solving mode. And that's what happens with activists a lot. They pay attention to the problem, but then the solving part is usually a little too late or too far in between because we're carrying around all the baggage to where we stay angry at the problem. And I think that's what's probably been the biggest how in the transformational work that I do with the clients and groups that I serve is like, yeah, I'm going to give you a minute to air out your feelings. Like that's what the kids say. I was in my feelings. I was in my feelings. Okay. But there's more places to be than in your feelings. Let's use your critical thinking. Let's make some strong connections and then let you design. How do you want to feel? Where do you want to be? You don't need all your problems always to be solved immediately. You need to ground yourself. You need to figure out who you are, where you are, why you are. Change the perspective. Get out of that dark rabbit hole. And usually that's what people need to to manage themselves emotionally on whatever activism journey that they're on. And is that what you mean by emotional hygiene? Yeah, I've been coined the emotional hygienist, which I think is so cool because again, like I was like going around saying, you know, I'm a mental health first aider and people are like, what's that? It's like, I'm an EMT, but for your mind and your heart, right? But a brother was like, I never heard of that emotional hygiene. Sister, that's pretty cool. And I was like, it is, isn't it? He's like, but why don't you take it to the next level? And I'm like, what's that? I got a suggestion. Are you open to suggestions? I said, absolutely. He said, you just need to go on and slap that on there and call yourself the emotional hygienist. Mic drop. And this is like random guy. And I was like, so do I have to pay you for that? He's like, no, you don't. You already saying it. You just need to make it your title. And it works. So help me, okay. Mariana. So if you had your workbook in front of you, uh-huh. if we had it, like yes. walk me through. So it's broken up in three pieces, the cause, the effect, and the healing. Okay. And everybody wants to fast forward to the healing part. We want to eat kale and do the downward dog and, you know, go meditate while all these active things are stewing in the back of our hearts and minds. We're we're shamalama ding donged out. Right. And so what I tell people is like, that's cool. And we can do that. But. Think of you. You need a TV show. <laughs> I do. And you're you, going to help Jesus. me with that. I mean, no, I mean, like, you're, wa- you're so wasted on podcasts. Like, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk. We yeah. got some work to do. Yeah. But, you know, people want to rush to that healing part so quick, which is now like the spiritual lifestyle, you know, and. Don't get me wrong. My mom had me eating granola and meditating. She was a spiritual anthropologist is what I call her. One year we're Christian. Next year we're Seventh-day Adventist. Next year we're Buddhist. I don't know if we're celebrating Kwanzaa, Christmas. I don't know what's going down, right? But it allowed me to see that it doesn't really matter what discipline you choose as long as you get it. Mm. So the cause, the effect, the healing will come. But if you're not getting the clarity on what is the cause... And then how does it show up in the, in the effects of my behavior, my decision-making, my choices, my self-image? So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to identify some of those major traumas. The first time you felt deep embarrassment, the first time you were abused or raped, right? Like where did some of this begin? And we're going to label that out. But it's not like one of those blank journals where it's like, just write your feelings. And then you're staring at this dollar store journal. It has prompts. It has charts. It has graphs. It has check boxes. So you're getting into yourself like a project. And that's how we kind of separate from our emotional pain body. You need to be able to see your symptoms on paper. Be your own doctor. Then we get to the healing Now, what are the different modalities and practices that we need to actually follow up on that high level, 
discipline and self-care, non-negotiable, meaning we don't let these things go because this is what works for me and this is what helps me manage my life. And eventually you get addicted to those good feelings of life management that your triggers, your isms, your schisms, your trauma and your drama, living in that space just doesn't work anymore. And people realize I'm doing my working on my shit too. So it's just a big own your shit party. And we're not stepping in each other's piles of shit because we're owning our own. We have to apply that rigor to our own lives. For me, part of becoming an adult is you have to own your own shit. But we could also apply the cause, effect, and solutions to the planet, like our relationship to the planet. Like, what have we done? What are those causes? What are the effects that we see? Right. And we all just jump to the solutions. The healing. The healing. Like, let's just work, let's just work out what the healing is, but we never mm-hmm. grieve the loss right. of life and habitat and right. animals and right. ourselves. I think it's a really powerful frame. And so the acronym, the, the, the workbook is Own Your Shit, but shit stands for some healing in there. Because mm. we all got some healing in there. No matter what capacity, shape, or form, there's always a space, you know, for some healing or for some validation. And like you just said, we all want to rush to the solution. We want to heal the world, make it a better place. But we act like we're not a big part of that. Like our own individual sacred, messy, crazy lives, like you're big in that. And I think we want to be a bigger leader than a bigger self-healer. And I think if we just kind of merge those together and, you know, I'm leading in my self-healing We can make so much more impact by living by example that people can model than by arguing and fussing and belittling people by what they're not doing. Because it it becomes very obvious what the light and the darkness is. And people respond to that accordingly. And so even like standing in leadership and activism, I'm very aware now, how am I making people feel in order to get to work? Like, do I need to make people feel shitty about the condition of the world to make them work? Or do I want to get them excited about the alchemy, the spiritual, mental, emotional alchemy, the change and the shift? You're going to get more folks to do things if they're coming from that space in their heart and their mind. Then it's not a job and an obligation that you got to nag and worry about. A huge thank you to Mariana Sousa for talking with Podshipath today. Mariana's personal journey from the performing arts to styling hair to journalism to teaching personal development is breaking down barriers, weaving together community, activism, and our emotional health with storytelling at its center. Mariana herself went from caretaker for everyone else to self-care to now facilitating other people's healing. Now more than ever, we really need to take care of our own shit before we take on the world's problems. The four key components outlined by Mariana of high-level, non-negotiable, discipline and self-care are a fantastic place to start. I'd suggest signing on to missmariana.today. That's M-I-S-S-M-A-R-I-A-N-N-A dot today to get all the latest from Miss Mariana Sousa. I've signed up for my first mental health check-in with Mariana and I'm excited to continue the journey because... Only by taking care of ourselves can we help heal the planet. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spade, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, we all know there's some healing in there.